Well, good morning. Great to see you. Isn't it a beautiful day today? Huh? Summer finally arrived, right? We know what that's like around here. Uh, and we want to welcome those of you that are watching on the web. Uh, I know it's the middle of summer and you could be anywhere in the world and, and tuned in and we hope you have. And if you have, uh, hopefully God will bless you through this time and uh, look forward to making connection if you're not part of our regular church family. But for those of you that are here, we're going to be in 1 Corinthians chapter 2 as a launching point. We're going to be using that as kind of our text today. Uh, as we continue a series about renewing our minds, we're, we're talking about the battle that's going on in our minds. So as you're turning there, could I just uh, pass on a couple of things that pertain to our community here at North Shore? Uh, in fact, they kind of go along the lines of what we were talking about, just the offering, the generosity that you guys have always uh, been marked by, and I appreciate that so much. It makes a difference. But um, one of the things uh, I heard about was that we had more kids, in fact, they had about twice as many kids as we've ever sent away to camp for the summer. Uh, the, uh, these are the elementary kids, the third to fifth grade. They went to Camp uh, Warm Beach. Tommy Rubatino and their team uh, were part of that. But what made that possible was your, many of you, your do uh, generous donations towards scholarships for these kids. Many of them couldn't have gone had you not contributed toward that. And Sandy said it was, it was even beyond what we, we needed, so we have a fund started for next year. So I want to thank you guys for that. That's awesome. That was amazing. Yeah. Yeah. The, the other thing is I wanted to give you an update on, um, on Claire's Place. If you're not familiar, this is a, a new uh, housing unit, permanent supportive housing for the chronically homeless and vulnerable households in Snohomish County. There are 65 units. It's brand new. It's just uh, over off of uh, Ever, Evergreen, and these apartments uh, are going to be filled. There's a coordinator there. There's ministry that will be happening uh, with them. Uh, but f as far as North Shore goes, you guys contributed $8,454 uh, just from you to provide for the uh, furnishing of these apartments. And uh, last Saturday, apparently, there were 14 apartments that you guys helped to furnish. And then this, uh, that was a week ago. And then just yesterday, there were 18 more apartments that were furnished uh, with the funds that you provided. In fact, I think we have a, a short little video. Let's, uh, let's watch and, and see some of the, the uh, action that was going on over there. Hey, thank you. Thank you to all the volunteers and Nancy and uh, Damien and the whole team, all of you guys uh, that uh, contributed toward that. That was amazing. Um, kind of on the heels of that, if you have not been through what we've offered in previous times called Poverty 101, uh, this is a special training that we're doing here at North Shore periodically that is, uh, that is educating us, kind of preparing us for ministry uh, to those folks that, uh, that that pertains to the... the um, 
gospel mission is the one that is doing the training, but we are going to host this on August the 17th, Saturday, August the 17th from 9 to 3. It, it is amazing. Those of you that I know that have gone through it, it's life-changing. It really is. And it's kind of setting the foundation for our ministry there. So if you'd like to be a part of that, I want to encourage you to sign up on our CCO. Uh, again, it'll be uh, Saturday, August the 17th. And it is an interactive training. It's not just all listening to a talking head. You're going to be engaged and involved in this. Uh, so if, if you're around at that time, I really encourage you to take a, advantage of that, okay? Um, we've got some Bibles available as you're walking through the Word today. I encourage you to take advantage of that. If you don't have one, you'll see some ushers offering that today. We are, we are picking up our series on renewing the mind. And we've been, we've been just kind of wrestling with this idea of of the impact that our minds have, our thinking has on the behavior, the actions, uh, the attitudes that proceed from that. Proverbs says, what, what a man thinks, so he is. So we know that pretty much everything we do, everything that we are, is going to start in our thinking. Does it make uh, sense then that the enemy is going to try to attack us right at that point? And my experience is many people are going through that very battle. They're going through some really uh, struggling times in their mind, in their thought life, and they're wondering, well, do I just reach to, to what the, the enemy's doing, or is there really victory that's available? And I believe there's victory. So we've been talking about last week, we were looking about taking those thoughts captive, the strongholds that are there. But this whole series launched from Romans 12. Do you remember that? Where Paul says, don't be conformed to the world and the ways of the world, but be transformed by the renewing of of your mind. Would you just think that word with me just for a moment? Renewal, renewing, to be renewed. I was thinking of a couple of other scriptures right along uh, those lines. One of them was, was in um, uh, Ephesians, and Paul was talking about uh, the new self being renewed in the knowledge, in the image of our Creator. The new self being renewed. And in, in Corinthians, 2 Corinthians, he says, Therefore, even though the outward body is wasting away, can I hear an amen to that? The, in, the inward life is being renewed day by day. That's become one of my favorite verses, by the way. It just, it just seems like, oh, it's, it's scripturally true, right? And, and yet the focus is on the inside. Friends, if transformation is going to happen, it's going to have to start here. That's just the truth. It's going to start in your mind, your thinking. If, if we're going to change, and ultimately, is this not God's goal, is to transform our lives more and more into the image of Christ. I don't know where I read this or who to attribute this to, but I read once that biblical imperatives, apart from biblical thinking, will result in short-term obedience and long-term frustration. Let me say it one more time. Biblical imperatives, apart from biblical thinking will result in short-term obedience but long-term frustration. And, and here's, if you were looking at Romans 12 again, this is, this is how that works. If, if, for example, you read a Romans 12 and it says, don't be conformed to the world. Okay, you kind of know what that means. It means the ways of the world don't do that, right? But if you don't follow it through to the renewing of your mind, then basically you're going to live a life that's filled with the I ought to's or I should have's and a lot of regrets because... You tried to do something, you made a vow to do it or a commitment, oh man, I'm going to do this, and then you just find yourself failing over and over and over again. Anybody been there? Where you just keep trying, and it's like, I just have to try harder. Friends, 
goes back to, if, if you don't change the way we think, if there's no renewal of the mind, then there's not going to be a behavior or attitude or um, you know, action corrective to, to align with what God is calling us to. And so, as Paul had been talking about this in Corinthians chapter 2, this is one of the most amazing revelations, is that he says, if you have your notes handy, by the way, look at the top in Roman, or Corinthians 2.16. Here's what he says. For who has understood the mind of the Lord so as to instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. We have the mind of Christ. Think about that. Over the years, as I've walked through all kinds of situations with people, and probably the most common thing is it has to do with guidance, okay? Lord, what is the Lord saying? What am I supposed to do next? Or, um, you know, what's the next chapter look like? Th these kinds of things. And I hear this every once in a while, and it's kind of an alarm bell to me, to be quite honest. When somebody says, well, I don't know what God wants me to do. How could we know what God wants, you know? How, how would we know that? God is God, and I am not, that kind of thinking. And I just want to scream, you have the mind of Christ. If you gave your heart to Christ and began to become a follower of him, he put his spirit inside of you. And that encompasses his thinking, his thoughts, his mind. That's what's inside of us. And so as we're aligned with that, if we don't just, you know, go off on our own and, and, and you know, kind of isolate ourselves from it, if we're in tune with that and we're aligned with the mind of Christ, friend, we can know what he wants. We should, in fact, know what the will of God is. And so... Um, so Paul's affirming this, but here comes a question. How, how does that really happen? What does that look like? Is that your reality, to have the mind of Christ and to know what that is? Well, as I looked at this, and for today's purposes, I mean, this is a pretty broad subject, but I like to simplify things. I usually do. And I'm going to narrow it down to just two steps that we could take today, okay? And, uh, and if we can just put these into practice, maybe we'll make some, make some uh, progress in the way that... Uh, that we start thinking and acting more like Christ when it starts with our thought life, okay? Here's the first one. Borrowing from some of the language that Paul used in Ephesians, he talks about the old man, the new man, the old self, the new self. And so here's the first thing that we've got to do. We've got to put away the old self. We have got to take off, if you will. He, he actually uses kind of the imagery of, uh, of clothing, it's like you had this old, dirty, smelly coat, you know, but you were attached to it and you wanted to keep it. And he's saying, you know what? It's time to get rid of that thing. Let's, let's take it off. Let's shed that thing and, and get rid of it, okay? Listen to this verse as he kind of encompasses that language. He says, do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices, now, what I found interesting about that is the very first thing, the context of which he's talking about there is one of the fir first of two things that I think we're, we're literally needing to put off. And this is, first of all, the lies that we have come to believe. The lies that we believe. Now, throughout the last several weeks, we've been acknowledging that Satan is a liar. Would you agree with that? That's his native tongue. When he whispers in your ear and he tries to persuade you to do something, it usually is in the form of some promise, but it's a lie. 
Some of you have walked in today, and maybe you're marked by depression. And maybe it is a physiological thing. Maybe there's, there's some stuff going. But usually what you'll find, if you find yourself in that emotional dark place, that there's some lie that has happened. Maybe recent, maybe it goes way back, but there's something there at the core. If you're locked into addiction today, and you just can't seem to break out of that, probably track that back. And there was a promise that the enemy made, but it was a lie, and you bought into it. And then, and then incrementally, you just got deeper and deeper to where then it became a bondage thing. Some of you are in the clutches of, of lust, and you can't break loose of it. There's a lie that's there. Worry, fear, anxiety, judgmentalism, resentment, bitterness, anger, all these things are, are expressions of the flesh, the old man, but I think what Paul's saying there, if you're going to put off all the, the expressions of the old man, you're going to probably find at the core of those are the lies that we have come to believe. Now, if Jesus said, you will know the truth, and the truth will what? Then tell me, what is it that enslaves you? If truth sets you free, then what is it that, that intends to enslave us? It's the lies that we've come to believe. So what has to happen is we have to invite the light of Christ to come in and expose those lies. Tell, tell them for what they are. Bring them into the light. Drag them into the light. That's what happens when the Spirit comes in. And, uh, and then you begin uh, to see them for, in essence, uh, of what they are. But that's got to happen if our behavior, if our actions are going to change. I was thinking, you know, not many of us here are probably history majors, but you all know Columbus, right? And we know what Columbus did. And I, I got to thinking, back in his time, everybody believed that the world was flat, right? So, so what, did that, what did that mean? That's what they thought. And so consequently, all the sailors would, would uh, sail, but they'd stay close to the shore. So they never launched out beyond that. They always stayed close to the shore, so they'd be going up and down, you know, the shore that way. Columbus believed that the world was round. So what did he do? He launched straight out. And he just kept going <laughs> into the abyss, what they thought, but he discovered a whole new land. Some of us in this room today are in that very same place. You still are locked into a lie over here, and it's, it's affecting your behavior, the way you act, the way that you behave, and you're, you're, staying, you're hugging the shore, if you will. But there may be something out there that God wants to lead you to, but it's going to change, first of all, in the way you think, in your, in your suppositions, if you will. And so... What, I was saying, what are some of these lies that we believe? Could I, could I just throw a few suggestions out to you? See if these don't resonate with some of us here, or at least we've, we've heard somebody else uh, say these kinds of things. Here's one. That's just the way I am. That's just the way I am. You talk to somebody, maybe, you're, maybe you speak, speak the truth and love about something that doesn't just seem to match up with, with Christ-like behavior. Well, that's just the way I am. Okay, what is the lie there? The lie, basically, you've bought into is that God cannot change me. God can't change me. He's not, he's not powerful enough. Or maybe, maybe I pose a big obstacle to him. Maybe so big that he can't get past it. Now, in some of your cases, I won't argue with that, all right? But generally speaking, right, we're just saying, you know what? I am who I am, and, and, uh, and, and I'm just going to keep doing the behavior that I'm doing. God can't change me. Here's another one. Uh, I'll only do it this one time. 
And, and the lie basically is, if, if I only do it one time, there are no consequences. That there's, there's no fallout from doing it just one time. And that's not true. In fact, is that not the lie that supersedes most folks who have gone down the path of drug addiction? I'm just going to do it this one time. Just try it out. And then they do it a second time and a third time. And then they find consequently that it takes a little more to get the same level of satisfaction. And then before you know it, you are in the clutches. You are in the bondage. But it all started. Some, of, some f- folks go toward illicit affairs this way. Well, we'll just do this this one time, and then you get caught into that trap. It's a lie from the enemy, okay? Um, who's going to know? That's one sometimes we can hear. Who's going to know? Nobody will ever know. I th- I've got this thing all covered. As if to say that if nobody else knows, that there won't be any fall out as a result of that. And yet, does not the Scripture say, beware, your sins will fall you, or, uh, call you out. They, they will follow you. They, they, will, they will be found out. And it's true. So, pay attention to these, whatever they sound like. And the first thing we have to do is put off those lies that we believe. That's part of that old man. And let the Spirit of God disclose uh, what some of those even might be. Can I make a couple of suggestions? Just thinking about this, and, and concentrate with me just for a second, okay? If, if you really were going to do something about this, if this was something that was very real in our life, I would suggest this. First of all, pay attention to the areas where you are extra sensitive, okay? Most of us, if, if certain things are said, it'll just go right past us. But there's sometimes something, somebody says something or does something, and you notice that there's a spark in you. There's something that ignites in you. Uh, usually in a negative sense, beware of those areas because chances are that is an indicator. It's like a gauge on your, on your uh, car that if it was way over to the right on the temperature gauge, you know, something's going on here. If you pay attention to the things that, that strike you or, or, or launch you into places that you don't like to go, be aware of those areas because usually if you track them back, you have believed something that's just flat not true and you've held on to that and you've not been able to, to get rid of that. Uh, here's the second thing. Pay attention to the areas you are particularly susceptible in your temptation. The things that, that for you, the unique things that you, uh, that the enemy knows, man, if I get him there, then I've got him. You know, the, the unique temptations, because once again, those areas are indicators of, of something back here that uh, maybe the enemy's given a promise that, that, oh, it'll give you this or it'll do this or whatever, and pay attention to those temptations, okay? Just a couple suggestions. Now, there's one other area before we get off this first point. Get rid of the lies that we believe, cast them off, but here's another dimension. I would, I would call this the me-first mindset. If we're going to acquire the mind of Christ, we are going to have to cast off, get rid of that old self, which usually is encompassing this idea of selfishness, me first. And if you ever argue that that's at our core, then you just go into a room full of two-year-olds sometime. (laughs) All right, see how they handle their toys and how they deal with each other. Friends, this is not a maladjustment that needs to be, uh, you know, dealt with by a counselor. This is something that is inherent in the sinful nature. We were born with it. 
And so when Christ comes in and he's trying to kind of take over and, and occupy every part of us, including our minds, our thoughts, you're going to find the one thing he's going to wrestle with is that me first. The way we think about ourself, our flesh, and what, what's going to benefit me. And I just want to use one example. Peter was one of Jesus' disciples, obviously, and he'd been walking with Jesus. Jesus began later in his ministry to disclose what the ultimate plan was. Mark 8 records this. He says one day he pulled his guys together and he said, guys, I want to prepare you for this. This is what's about to happen. I am going to be rejected. I'm going to be uh, beaten. I'm going to be spat upon, and I'm going to be nailed to a cross but on the third day, I'm going to rise from the grave. That's what's going to happen. And it says, Peter pulled him aside and rebuked Jesus. Can you imagine that? He rebuked Jesus. Basically, he said, I'm not going to let that happen to you. Now, at the first, at the first you know, glance, you might think, oh, well, that was very noble of Peter, right? That was courageous. Oh, I'll stand up for you. I'll defend you. I'll cut off the guy's ear when he tries to arrest you, right? And that's what he did. But if you really look at it, there was selfishness at the core of that statement. Peter liked what they were doing. Peter liked what it meant for him to follow Jesus. The crowds were gathered. He was one of his guys. I was one of the chosen guys. He liked it, and he wanted things to stay just the way they were. He, he liked the predictability of it. Every fisherman does. <laughs> and yet Jesus is saying something's about to dramatically change, and, G and Peter says, I'm not, I'm not going to let that happen. It was a very selfish statement, quite honestly. And, and Jesus called it out. And here's how he said it. Listen, you see it there in your note. He says, turning and seeing his disciples, he rebuked Peter, and he said, get behind me, Satan. I don't know if you catch this or not, but what Jesus was doing in that moment was sending a message to all these guys. And do you not think if you were one of the onlookers and Jesus just tells Peter, get behind me, Satan, do you not think that would get the other guy's attention? And and he wanted to send a message. And this, this was the message. You are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. That's the me first mindset Jesus is calling out. And I think that we have to, we have to pay attention to that. I, um, I, I, I don't know any other way to, to put it, but it's just flat out selfishness that we, we have to cast off. And we're going to have to replace it with something. I read one, one, once a person pointed out, you know, there's all kinds of people. There are, there are dog people and there are cat people. And I'm sure there are a few of you in this room. And the, and the twain do not mix. <laughs> there are pool people and there are beach people. There are sailboat people and, and there's powerboat people. There's ice capades kind of people and there's ice hockey kind of people, Right? He goes on down this list. He finally says, but there is one thing that everybody has the same interest, and that is self, self-interest. He says, that's what makes four-way stops so dangerous. <laughs> think about that. And, and I think that, uh, you know, as we look at this, th these are the things that we're called to cast off. When Paul says, put off the old self, 
These are the kinds of things that come to my mind if we're going to acquire the mind of Christ. Okay, let's shift gears. Let's go to the things that we put on then. How do we put on the mind of Christ and what is it going to take? Well, in the context of these two areas that we just talked about, just talk about putting on the new, putting on the new. Here's what he says in Ephesians. To be renewed in the spirit of your minds and to put on the new self created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. So we are putting on the new in this case. So let's talk about the first one. What was the first one thing we put off? Put off the old lies that we tend to believe. So let's, let's go back and what do we do? What we do is we replace them with the truths that we find in God's Word. We replace them with truth. This is why um, David said in Psalm 119.11, he says, I have hidden your word in my heart so that I might not sin against you. I've tucked it away in my heart. And, and as you walk through this, friends, could we borrow the, from the example of Jesus? I've referred to this last couple of messages, but I wanted to... I wanted to dig a little deeper into this episode of Jesus when he was tempted. Could we go there? Uh, if you're not familiar with the chronology, Jesus has just been baptized by his cousin John the Baptist, and, and right out from there he goes into the wilderness and he's tempted. Uh, 40 days it says that he went without food. He fasted for 40 days. And so as you walk through what the enemy tempted him through, the first one he says, here's what he says, if you're the son of God, then turn these stones into bread. Okay? Now, at first glance, he's, he's appealing to his hunger, right? I mean, Jesus is hungry. And he's saying, wow, I could do this. But digging deeper, this is what I call the prove it lie. Prove it. If you're the son of God, if you're really deity, if you're really God's son, then step outside of your humanity and use your divine supernatural power to somehow turn that stone into bread. Now, I don't know if you understand the consequences of this, friends. If our Jesus was not fully man and fully God, then he would not be the redeemer that we know him to be. If he came as just fully God, all he would be is just a good example that we are to follow. But he was fully man just like you and me so that now we know he is a conqueror over the very things that you and I struggle with going back to that nature of sin and selfishness. Jesus Christ defeated the enemy as man. So if he would have bit the apple here, if he would have, if he would have relinquished himself to that temptation and gone outside of the humanity and just solely operated in that divinity, friends, I'll tell you what, there would have been huge consequence for you and I. There really would. And he knew this. And so how does he respond? He said, it is written that man shall not live by bread alone. So what he does is like us, he drew from the word of God the truth to counteract the lie that the enemy was, was speaking. And that's the only thing, friends, I know of that you and I can do to contend or, or to uh, contradict those lies is to go back to the truth. It is written. What was the second thing he did? He said, well, okay, if you're the son of God, 
then throw yourself off this pinnacle. It said he led him up to the pinnacle of the temple, this huge corner. I mean, it's many stories high, and he's just standing there, and he's looking down, and there's a crowd down there probably, and he's just thinking about jumping off because what the enemy did is he whispered in his ear. He says, after all, he says, the Scripture says the angels have charge over you. The angels will protect you. Man, not a, not a bone in your body is going to be broken. You know what the Scripture says. So Satan was actually using the Scripture to try to entice Jesus toward that temptation to jump off. Isn't that interesting? So this lie, I call it the Scripture just isn't clear lie. And have you ever met somebody that they're going down a track and you know it's not the right track and they may even throw a scripture at you. And they're saying, or the one that you share with them, they're saying, well, I don't know if that's really true. The scripture really isn't that clear. Friends, I don't know if you're connecting the dots or not, <clears throat> but we're living in a climate today when in a lot of people's minds and even in the church, a lot of things are up for grabs. That maybe just 20 years ago or 30 years ago we believed to be true and now all of a sudden there's a question mark. Did God really say that? We have a word for it now in theological terms. It's called revisionists. And they're taking what we believe the Word of God to say, but now they're shifting it and changing it here and there and saying, well, you know, it's just not really that clear. And therefore, once that door is open, all of a sudden everything's up for grabs. That's how it's working. That's how the enemy is working, I believe. And it's going to take courage, and it's going to take more and more courage and boldness to be able to say, it is written. Now you're thinking, well, wait a minute, that, that was a scripture, it's true. But friends, if you, if you haven't understood this already, there are scriptures that transcend some of these other, other ones that are there. There's a, there's a truth that will kind of prevail so that Jesus appeals to that higher truth that just says, you shall not tempt the Lord thy God. So an example for, uh, for us might be, well, pastor, it doesn't say specifically I'm not supposed to do this, and maybe it's something pertaining to our body. But yes, there is a scripture, though, that says over here, your, temple is a, or your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit, and you're to treat it with that reverence and respect that the Lord would have, and to care for it that way. That's a general principle. So um, I think Jesus, Jesus contended, once again, it is written. And then, of course, the third one, he takes him to the top of the hill, I don't know how it laid out in front of him, but he shows him the whole world. And Satan says to him, all this is mine, and I will give it to you if you will just bow down and worship me. And Jesus is sitting there, knowing what his, his call was, is to come and lay his life down for humanity, to redeem you and me from our sin. He knew that it would take a sinless sacrifice, and he was that sinless one. They knew that, that he was going to have to go to the cross. Jesus understood that. Did he not have a grasp on that? Even as I shared earlier, he was telling Peter what was about to happen. He knew what he was called to do. But Satan's over here whispering in his ear, you don't have to do that. <laughs> you don't have to do that. I'll give, I'll, I'll give you all this if you'll just bow and worship me. I call this the shortcut lie. The shortcut lie. You don't have to go through that trial. You don't have to go through that difficulty. 
You don't have to go through that test in order to get here. Just take the easy way around it. Bypass it. Take the shortcut. And Jesus once again appeals to the Scripture, and he said, but it is written, you shall worship the Lord thy God and only him. That was the bottom line. I'm not going to worship you. I'm not going to give myself to you. Acknowledge that. You worship the Lord thy God. So as you look collectively at these, the only thing that we can do is to replace these lies that we believe by the truth that we find in God's Word. Now, can I ask you a question this morning? How many it is written's are in your heart? How many it is written's do you know? How many could be called out by the Spirit in that given moment and you can contend with the lie by the fact that you have put that, hidden that, like David did, hidden that in your heart to where it can be recalled and recounted like Jesus did out in the wilderness? Friends, the only way they're going to get there is by you through discipline and through diligence and through intentionality is to put them there in your heart. It's the only way. Otherwise, you have no ammo <laughs> to go against those lies. Okay? So we replace it with the, the truth. Uh, and then the last thing is, is that we, we're going to we're going to exchange that me-first mindset and replace it with a father-first mindset. This is how I like to think about it. I, 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 can I just say something? I, I just love the team that I get to work with, the, the, the servants that God has led here to North Shore, and especially some of these guys that are up here on the platform that are leading us in our worship. I, I just watch that, and especially Josh. I'm just going to call him out. I, I love him. And you guys don't get to look under the hood very often, all right? You, you see what you see on the platform. But I'm going to just tell you this, that he is, he is true, and he is sincere, and he is genuine. And he is a guy, a young man, that has a father-first mindset. You hear it sometimes in his language because he talks about the father a lot and the goodness of God and the faithfulness. But, but Jesus kind of summed up that attitude in this phrase from his perspective I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. And, and if we look at our journey, I don't care how long your journey is. You may be just starting off in this thing, okay? Maybe you've just given your heart to Christ recently, and you're just beginning this journey. I'm going to tell you, get a little heads up, that this will be a consistent journey of relinquishing your right to yourself and whatever that looks like, and, and transferring it over more and more and more to be Christ's will in your life. That's what it's going to look like. And, and I've shared this probably before, but I go back to how I started off in California. Uh, you know, grew up there, little small town in Central Valley, never been out of California in my life. And when I met Christ at 17 years of old, it was within a few weeks that the Lord took me out of that and put me in Portland, Oregon. I flew in on a cloudy day, and I didn't know north from south for the next four years. I didn't know my directions. I didn't know where I was at. I didn't have a friend. I didn't know the school until about three weeks, or two weeks maybe before I went there. I mean, he just went and put me right in here. And I remember my thinking as a new believer, new Christian, 
okay, God, I don't know what you're doing, but, but I'll go with it, you know. And after a year or two, I, I felt a nudge toward ministry. But I remember thinking distinctly, I'll serve you, God, as long as I go back to California. It's going to be in California. And that was my, my uh, resolve. Well, he said, he, I'm sure he just smiled. <laughs> and, and, and then I started traveling around, and then I kind of opened up. I opened up to God. I'll serve you as long as it's on the West Coast, <laughs> you know? And then I started traveling for the school the, that I went to, and I started traveling around the country, and I, I, uh, I was on a trip, and I met a young gal uh, at a youth convention, and she was a student at a school back in Indiana, and that's where the seminary was, and suddenly I felt called to go to seminary. <laughs> it's amazing how God can do that. And, and I found myself in a whole different place. Um, and I just started thinking, okay, Lord, you know. And right before the year we got married, I did my last internship in a town called Hugoton, Kansas. Yeah, you haven't heard of it either, have you? <laughs> I can just uh, tell, yeah. Little spot out in the western Kansas, there is not a mountain. I mean, there's not a hill. There, I mean, it, it's just flat. And there's no water. There's not a body of water for about 60 miles. I'm telling you the truth. It is desolate. And when I spent that summer in Hucaton, Kansas, I came to the conclusion, you know what, God? I think I could serve here. And that's when I finally relinquished, at least in that dimension, the geographical parts of my limitations I was putting on God. I just basically said, Lord, wherever you want, me, want to send me. And then, <laughs> and then I thought he couldn't take me anywhere else. When I graduated from seminary and was ready to go anywhere in the world, I'm telling you the truth. If there was a thousand towns listed on a list and God said, pick any one of them, if Muskogee, Oklahoma was on there, that would have been the 1,000th uh, place. That would have been the last place, and that's where the Lord seemed to put me. So he's got a sense of humor when it comes to the things that we say. Okay, Lord, this is how I want it. But a, a father-first mindset says, no, Lord, I want what you want. I'm going to do what you want. And then, and then we read what Jeff read for us a few minutes ago out of Philippians. Have this mind among yourself, which is yours in Christ Jesus. Didn't that just set, sum up what we've said today? You have the mind of Christ. That's why I put this at the end to remind you. He says, this mind is yours in Christ Jesus. And then he describes who through, though, or who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant being born in the likeness of men. And so a father-first mindset is going to largely be marked by servanthood. You want to know what it looks like? That's what Jesus did. I don't know of a moment that captured that more than up in the upper room, John 13, when he got up from the table and he began one by one to wash their feet. And you think, well, I could do that. I could, I could wash somebody's feet. Could you have washed Judas's feet knowing that he was about to betray you? Knowing that he was about to betray you. Would you have washed his feet? Have you ever been called to wash somebody's feet who has hurt you? who has been mean or cruel, could you wash their feet? 
That's what that really means. And that's what it really means to take on a father-first mindset. Not to dig your heels and say, I'm not going to go there. They've hurt me too bad. Kind of what we talked about last week. That's probably one of the great strongholds that we wrestle with. But if we're serious about acquiring the mind of Christ, it is, it is going to be Christ in us. It's not our own power or strength. It's Christ in us, his mind in us, his, his thoughts, his ways. We're shedding off this old self and its practices, the lies that we believe, replacing them with the truth and taking that me-first mindset, getting rid of that, and begin to replace it with a father-first in everything and, um, and then continuing down that path. I know that, you know, there have been a lot of ups and downs. You know, I remember Charles Swindoll coined the phrase, three steps forward and two steps backward. And it feels like that, doesn't it, sometimes? Uh, we aspire to that, but we know we, can do, we cannot do it um, apart from him. You know, in many ways I've tried to do this. In fact, in the season that we've been in uh, here as a church, you guys know that uh, about a year ago that, that we shared that, that there would be likely a transition coming. We didn't know exactly what it was going to look like or the timeline. And our elders began to come together to pursue that, uh, to see what God was going to have. Uh, I think I've shared this enough, but in case I, you didn't get this, my heart's desire, and I feel the calling of God was predominantly is to live exactly what we're talking about, live this out. Rather than dig my heels in and, and stay in a situation maybe too long or beyond a, a point, uh, but hopefully to model what a healthy, God-honoring handoff might look like to a new leader. We just don't see that very often, quite honestly. And I've, I've had some very close colleagues and friends that I've just, I've, I've seen Christ all over that, and I think, wow, that... I would love to be a part of that, Lord, if that'd be possible. And so we started on this journey of seeking, you know, what the, what the new leadership might look like. And uh, today, uh, today is, uh, we are going to be entering into a new chapter together. I'm going to invite the elders to come up, and they're going to share uh, some good news, I think, with you that uh, we can all uh, begin to celebrate. So let's invite the elders to come up and share, share some of this. Watch you. Well, good morning. I guess good afternoon at this point. Uh, for those who don't know me already, uh, my name is Jeff Enns. I'm one of the elders uh, here at North Shore. Uh, and uh, it's my privilege uh, this afternoon to speak to you on behalf of the elder board and to uh, greet you in the name of Christ. Um, as Ken mentioned, uh, we've been on this journey uh, for about a year or so, um, looking for the next head pastor at North Shore. Uh, even before we kind of entered into the, you know, what I'll call the public phase of the search, the elders uh, spent a lot of time in prayer uh, asking that God would reveal through that process uh, who he wanted for this church. Uh, we made a very considered decision um, to enlist the services of a consultant uh, to help guide us through this process. Um, someone who could give us the opportunity to objectively evaluate who we are as a church and what uh, we were looking for in a new leader. Um, it also gave us the opportunity to objectively evaluate the candidates who applied for that, whether they were internal or external, local or national. Uh, so ultimately it allowed us to leverage their experience uh, because we haven't done this process for 
you know, 15 some years um, to you know, avail ourselves of their nationwide reach. Um, and also it helped to guard against um, any one individual's preconceived ideas about who the next leader should be. Uh, as you might imagine, as you enter into this season like this, there are a lot of people who say, I think I know who God is calling, right? And that's, that's something that we work through and this process allowed us to say, that's great. Here's how we are going to consider those folks collectively. Uh, and it's just been a real blessing to see how God has spoken to us through that process. Um, so uh, today is the day we've all been waiting for, uh, and we are pleased to announce that we have called Scott Harris to be the next head pastor at North Shore. So let us answer the obvious question. Could you have not have figured that out without going through this whole process? Uh, frankly, the answer is no. Um, you know, we all know Scott very well, uh, and we are very grateful for the way he has ministered to this body, um, to the staff, um, and to all of us uh, during the several years that he's been with us. Um, and frankly, it was something that we had a little bit of concern about um, pulling him away from that uh, in areas that God has gifted him as a shepherd by laying on him the burden of regular teaching. Um, you may not be aware of this, but Pastor Ken teaches at a much higher frequency than um, most, if not all, of his peers in a very similar situation. And we're very grateful for uh, all of his years of dedication and his teaching, but it comes with a significant time commitment. And there was a concern that we would lose in some respect um, the many ways and the many places God has placed Scott by shifting him into that role. Um, so as we went through the process, though, um, God spoke to us and revealed to us uh, a lot of things uh, in terms of what we were looking for. Um, you know, we know how much of a servant's heart that Scott has for this church and for this community. And if you don't know that, then I would say you probably haven't spent any more than about three minutes with him. Um, because uh, God has just filled him with that vision and, uh, and that passion, and we're very excited to have that available. Uh, but like I said, as we went through this uh, search process, God revealed some things to us, and I'll have uh, Roger Gray, who is involved with the uh, screening team, uh, talk a little bit about that. Thanks, Jeff. So I was blessed to be part of the screening team. Uh, it was made up of several of your school people, several people from the staff, and some of you from the lay body, and then um, John Paxson and I, two elders, sat on the team. There were about eight or nine of us. And uh, it was a very talented team that God and the elders had pulled together. And one of the great blessings of the process was the unity between the screening team members and the screening team and the elders. Um, we, we interviewed uh, over a dozen men trying to find the right fit the right pastor, the right teacher, the right shepherd, but most of all, a man with the right calling. We found people that were looking for a job. This isn't just a job. We didn't want a guy up here who was just going to be a job filler. So as the process went forward, um, God revealed several things to us. There were those amongst the, the, the uh, men that we looked at who were good teachers, but maybe not good shepherds. 
There were those who were good teachers, but uh, were more storytellers than what we were used to. We're used to a man who takes God's word and peels the onion and reveals the truths behind it and in it. And that's what we have with Pastor Ken, and that's what we were looking for, something similar to that uh, going forward. We didn't want somebody who's just a good storyteller. I can tell a good story, but you don't want me as your pastor. And so as we went, as we went forward with this, God revealed things to us um, that we had someone here in our midst that was fitting all of this criteria, and that was Scott. So we asked Scott to go through the same validation process that everybody else had gone through. So he applied to the screening company that we had hired. He went through their validation process. He sat as an interviewee for the screening team, and he interviewed before the elders. And it became evident through that process that God was validating Scott as our, our future pastor. One of the things that I, as I sat back and I watched this man in his interview, I, I, I didn't look so much at the answer to each specific question that we asked him, but the character of the man of Scott. And what I saw was a man who had God in his heart from beginning to end. God's word bubbled out of him in the conversation. God's joy was part of him. God's grace was on him. This wasn't a job. This was a calling. And so, ha, we, we found him. I, I can't help but be a little emotional about that because this is important to every one of you. So, you know, one of the things Roger didn't mention is that Scott went through the same screening um, process, and this is a national consultant. You know, they have uh, folks all around the country who do this regularly and look at these folks, look at these, you know, national caliber leaders. And they came back to us and said that Scott is in the top 10 to 20 percent of the leaders that they see across the country. Um, so we are, you know, fantastically blessed to have him in this role. So how do we elevate him to this role without, you know, taking away from, you know, the gifts that he has in shepherding and the time and the way he's poured himself into our mission uh, and discipleship. Uh, so our intention at this point is to hire a pastor who will fill his role, uh, both as the executive pastor, but who will also be able to take on a share of the teaching. Uh, and ultimately it's our goal to have a team of folks um, who will share in the teaching so that you'll be able to have the opportunity to hear from a variety of voices and hear how God is speaking through the whole body through uh, several different folks. So going forward from here, uh, Scott will take leadership of the staff starting on August 1st. Uh, on August 4th, we will have an installation service for Scott uh, where we will spend some time getting a little bit deeper into uh, some of the, the search and how God worked in, in us as a body uh, and spoke to us through it. Um, so you'll want to make sure that you're here for that. Uh, Ken has indicated that he will uh, move on to his next phase of ministry uh, on November 3rd. Uh, so that will be the Sunday that we will celebrate Ken, all he has done for North Shore, and uh, his lifetime of ministry up to this point, uh, and the ways that God has used him. Uh, in the meantime, Ken will continue to teach regularly um, as Scott kind of gets his feet under him in his new role. Uh, as November 3rd approaches, you'll start to see some of the teaching responsibilities handed off to Scott and hopefully to uh, his team as well. Uh, so that's where we go from here. So I'll have Don uh, close us out. Wow. Um, I hope you all come back um, in two weeks. Um, this has been a spiritual 
a journey for us as elders. And uh, we're going to unpack a little bit about that um, in two weeks. And I'm really excited to, you know, 16 years ago, I was convinced that God had brought us Ken Long. And just the way how it worked out, I mean, it, it, it was only from the Lord. And just at that moment, um, it almost it mirrors this moment. I am convinced that um, the Lord has brought Scott here to North Shore. And I'm really excited. <laughs> How can I just say that? Um, I know that um, this place is very special to me and to my family, and I, I know all to you. There's something God's anointment is here, and 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 this journey that we've been on is just another testimony to that. Um, seven years ago, through Ken's leadership and through the calling of the Lord, we made this switch um, to make disciples that make disciples and reach Everett, Snohomish County, and the world. And um, Scott also shares that, that vision, and I'm so grateful for that. So if you would stand up, and we'll just pray. Heavenly Father, As your humble servant, I give thanks to you for what you have brought here at North Shore. Lord, I ask a special anointment upon Scott and upon this church and those who enter these doors. Lord, may we, may we be an example of your light, of your love to others um, here at North Shore. May North Shore be known as someone who loves and speaks truth to our city, to our county, and to the rest of the world. Lord, anoint this process. Give Scott the vision and the strength to endure what lies ahead. Lord, reveal your great plans to us. And by the words of your testimony and the blood of the cross, we give you honor and glory. In your name, amen. All right.